Sean Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead. I'm your host. I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and a recovering addict. And uh, if you have been on this feed, this podcast feed, I've been delinquent. I've been away for a while. The Alan Mead Experience has not been produced in more than a year, it looks like. Uh, is According to the website, I think the last episode that went out was... October 16th, 2019. So it's been a while. It's been a while, folks. And I've been I've been claiming that I was going to bring the Alamy experience back, and then I didn't. And what happens is a guy gets spread pretty thin. That's what happens. Just a little bit of housekeeping for the podcast. If you are listening to the Dental Hacks podcast and you are wondering how in the world you stumbled upon a podcast by one of the guys from the Dental Hacks podcast with his name on it, and you're wondering, how did this happen? Well, right now on the Dental Hacks podcast, we're having what's called the Virtual Voices of Dentistry, where uh, since a lot's happened since the last time I've been here. You might have heard of it, pandemic and all that sort of thing. Uh, our typical meeting, the Voices of Dentistry meeting, which we normally have in the end of January in Arizona, we're not having it this year because the pandemic has basically put that on hold, which is very sad. And frankly, I haven't traveled anywhere since February of 2020. And I drove to the Chicago midwinter in one day. I got up early and drove to Chicago from here, went to the meeting for a day, turned around, came home, didn't even stay overnight in a hotel. That's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, it's made even dumber by the fact that that was the last place I was going to go, like anywhere. I didn't know at the end of February that we were going to have a pandemic and that travel was going to become a very difficult proposition for me. So there you have it. So I've been nowhere um, in Arizona in January is, is pretty appealing to a dude from Michigan. Like I woke up this morning uh, and it was 12 degrees. So yeah, 12, uh, it was cold. Uh, so yeah, I'm a little sad about that, but yeah, we've had a, we've, uh, we've had a pandemic. Uh, we were shut down for a while. Um, my office was, as obviously dentists know, lots of changes have happened and stuff. So, so since the last episode, a lot of crazy stuff has happened. So, uh, and this is a podcast that I started, God, I don't know, four or five years ago. And my goal was to have it be a little less about clinical or business of dentistry per se, and more about storytelling. Like it's kind of a dental podcast, but it's not necessarily a dental podcast. Uh, this, I think it can be enjoyed by non-dentists as well. I'd like to bring it back. I've got some interesting concepts that I want to do, some interesting people I want to talk to, and just have more conversations, that sort of thing. I should say that uh, literally since I, in the last year and a half, I've actually started to listen to the Joe Rogan experience some didn't realize that uh, I, I didn't mean to be um, I didn't mean to make any silly assumptions about the name of my podcast. The LME experience is nothing like the Joe Rogan experience. Clearly, it's the biggest podcast in the whole world. Uh, it's a little obnoxious for me to have kind of stolen that name from him. But uh, it's I got nothing but love. He's an amazing podcaster. And uh, I, I if, if I if only I could be like him. 
But uh, so we do a lot of storytelling. We do a lot of just kind of conversations, that sort of thing on the Elm experience. And if you are on the Dental Hacks feed and you're listening to this, uh, I would love it if you would look in your podcast software for the Elm experience and subscribe because I'm going to start putting episodes out on the regular. So uh, a little bit different flavor than the Dental Hacks podcast. Would love to hear what you think of it. Uh, if you have any ideas or of people you'd like me to talk to or things you'd like me to cover, that sort of thing. I have... I have lots to say, but I'm not actually going to dwell a ton on the pandemic in this episode. Uh, we've spent, God only knows how much time talking about it on the Dental Hacks podcast. Actually, we've we've taken a bit of a break in production for the Dental Hacks because we are sharing our feed with some of the amazing dental podcasts that we would typically feature at the actual Voices of Dentistry meeting. So uh, if you've been listening, you're hearing a bunch of different people on the podcast. And that's, I thought I would throw my own uh, Alan Mead Experience podcast in there so you can get a listen to it. I hope you're enjoying it. And, uh, and of course, the Dental Hacks is going to be back in February. Just so you know, we will be producing and creating a bunch of new cool stuff. I just thought we'd do something a little different for January since we weren't going to be able to get together at the Voice of Dentistry. So there's my housekeeping. So one of the reasons I wanted to record this particular day is interesting. So many of you who've heard me talk about it on, on this podcast or the Dental Hacks podcast or have seen me speak at your state dental meetings or anything like that, um, I have talked a bit about my history with addiction. I'm a recovering addict. Uh, and literally 19 years ago today, right at this moment, I had been admitted to a detox program in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's a trip for me to think about that. So 19 years ago, um, I won't go too in-depth in what was going on at the office. Let's just say that um, I had a problem with drugs, for sure. But the, And the, the drugs that I used the most often were the kind that you would get with a prescription from your doctor, the opiates. Um, I, was, I was an opiate guy. And, like, I was an opiate addict long before... Uh, the it was hip to talk about the opioid crisis in the United States. Um, it was I I did not take OxyContin. Um, OxyContin was around, but it was not it was not the the big deal that it is or it was now. I I typically took hydrocodone preparations of some sort or another. And as a dentist, uh, clearly I had much more access to it than was healthy. Um, I've got lots of thoughts about that, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. What's interesting to me is that I realized that 19 years ago today was the day that I got taken to detox in Grand Rapids. So as it happened, my family and, uh, some friends came to, uh, my office and I had worked in the morning and they came basically after lunchtime and they had canceled my schedule with my team and they did an intervention on me. And the funny thing about inter interventions are funny because if you've ever seen any of the TV shows that do the the interventions, the drug interventions for the people who are using, you know, it's very dramatic television. Like almost always the people are super angry and, and they, they won't, they, they don't give up and they claim they don't have a problem. And it's, I, I haven't watched many of them to tell you the truth, but I, I know there's a lot of people that, that watch them and think they're great television, but typically those people fight tooth and nail and they don't end up going to treatment and they run away and all this stuff. I was different. I had up to that point, I knew I had a problem. I knew I couldn't stop. And I had tried to stop on my own a bunch of different ways and not smart ways, but a bunch of different ways. And I figured that it was, this was it. I was, it was going to be 
I the brakes had come off. I figured I was either going to get caught and thrown in jail, or I was going to die of an overdose, or and, and I didn't know what else to do. So luckily, uh, that was about the time that my family came, uh, family and friends came to intervene on me. So I gave up very easily. <laughs> Let's just say that I I uh, I didn't fight it. I I said I need help and I can't do it myself. They said we're here to help you, and they had set up to have me go into a detox program in Grand Rapids. As it turned out, there was a, actually a treatment center there that I'll tell you about as well. But so uh, my practice is in Saginaw, Michigan. It's about a two-hour drive to Grand Rapids in the country, and um, so that was a that was quite a drive. I don't. I have to say that if if there are people listening to this episode that remember the specific time, they may remember it better than I do. Because to be honest, I it's it's 19 years ago, but it's also like every, my whole life was foggy at that time. So like. I think I got most of it right. I don't know that the details are all exactly right, but I think I got most of it right. But anyhow, we so my my dad and uh, my brother-in-law, and it might have been my friend, uh, Dr. Scott Woodbury, who's an oral surgeon in Saginaw, they were all part of the intervention on me. And I think they all came in my dad's truck and drove me to the detox center. I, I, it's very fuzzy how I got there. I know I got there. Someone else drove. I literally went in the clothes that I wore to, to work that day. Um, I didn't have anything else with me. I had nothing, nothing but my clothes, um, which became weird the next morning. But I, I don't know if they didn't think to pack a bag or they didn't know quite if I was going to go or if I was going to fight or whatever. So, but, but I didn't. So we, <laughs> we drove to the detox center and this, uh, this was a, a hospital but it was like a, it was an old hospital. It wasn't like an active hospital. Like there wasn't a surgical ward or anything like that. I think it might've been more like a rehab. Like, like if you had your hip replaced, they would send you there to do your, to do your a couple weeks of rehab or something like that. And then on one floor, they had drug and alcohol, uh, detox and treatment. And it was an inpatient deal. So it was kind of like, it was like a, it was like a, a hospital ward, but the rooms were very hospitally, like they were not, uh, they were not fancy rooms. They were kind of like dumpy hospital rooms and you had a roommate and you, you had a hospital bed. And so I got there and the intake process was a lot of questions. I remember that. And of course I was still, I was still probably coming down from my last, my last use. I mean, I used, Let's just say I used a lot right before the intervention. Like I had just, I just scored the stuff I wanted. I hadn't, I had been in withdrawal earlier that day. I scored the stuff I wanted. So I was, I was pretty high at that point. And, uh, so I was kind of coming down from that, um, and answering a lot of questions. I took a drug test, which I'm sure I, I had the high score. I'll bet you. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was positive. I know that was the only, only positive drug test I've ever taken. Just, you know. Um, cause after that, uh, they drug test you a lot <laughs> and I, and I never, I never used again after that. So I've never, I've never tested positive after that. Interestingly enough, only tested positive for one drug test. That was the first one I took at the detox center. So what was nuts was like, it was my first time with any experience of any kind of drug and alcohol treatment whatsoever, considering how in my mind I had tried to stop so many different ways. But the ways that I didn't try was like going to a 12-step meeting or asking someone for help or anything, like talking to someone who 
had a problem at all. Like I tried all the, the dumb stuff that I tried was stuff that I came up with in my own brain that didn't work at all. Uh, so literally the first experience I ever had with any kind of, any kind of like, here's how you get well from being a drug addict. Here's how, here's how you try and do better from being a drug addict. My first experience was this detox center in Grand Rapids. I don't, honest to God, I, I uh, there was a dental meeting, Michigan Dental Association meeting in Grand Rapids, probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. Um, actually, yeah, that's what it was. It was four or five years ago. And, and I, I drove down a day early just to drive through the, just to see where the places that I knew from Grand Rapids when I was in treatment. And one of them was this hospital. And now I don't know what's there. There's no drug treatment center there. Um, I don't know what the place is used for. It's still big. I mean, it's still, it's a great big building kind of close to the highway. And, and it was, a. It, <laughs> Even when I was there, people said, "Oh man, it's been it's been a million different things." You know, it was a hospital for a while, and it was so. And it it was weird because I remembered it, but it seemed like it almost seemed like a, you know, you got fifteen years space between when you were there, you know, and as a patient, and then there just as a spectator. It was very different. It was like it was like a different lifetime. So much of so much of my life from when I was using is like that. It's literally like, it's like watching a movie. You're familiar with it, but it, but it wasn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's you. It was so long ago and it was such a, and you're such a different person. You do so your life is so much different. So anyhow, I I've been there. It's, it's, it was really weird, but so we were on a, it was like the fourth floor, but I, I honestly don't think I ever left the floor. I got, I got on the floor for detox. It, this was not ever going to be, the treatment center that I spent time in. Like this was not where I was going to go into treatment. This was because I was an opiate guy. They, they wanted you to, to go through a medical monitor, medically monitored withdrawal because opiate, uh, it can be dangerous, which is hysterical. Actually. I always thought that was pretty funny. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm in withdrawal all the time. I use more than I have. And so I go for days without this stuff. I'm like, what do you even need? But <laughs> if you're doing it officially, they want you to be medically monitored. So um, considering I was in withdrawal constantly for years, basically, because I would use, and then I would, I wouldn't have enough of the stuff. So I would be in withdrawal until I got more. Um, <laughs> they must've thought I was some kind of miracle of modern medicine because I, I, you know, I just walked around in withdrawal all the time, you know, like a lot, a lot of folks that had uh, opiate withdrawal would be, they couldn't get out of bed. They were in horrible pain. And, and for me, it was just, it was just like, any other day, basically it was I, cause I, that's sort of how I lived my life is crazy. So, um, I was brought there on a Thursday. I'm going to double check this with Google calendar, but the day would be January 9th, uh, 2002. So literally like three months prior had been September 11th kind of thing. Like that's, we were all, it was, it was just months after the whole September 11th debacle. I, and in two days or three days before the September 11th debacle, I had gotten married. So there was, a, there was a lot of important things that had happened in my life around that time. But this is, this is the one that sort of sticks. So it was January 9th, uh, 2002. I'm going to look at the Google. It's a th- I'm, I'm certain that is a Thursday. Um, January 9th was a Wednesday. So interesting. I thought it was a Thursday. I was thinking it was. So I knew I was there over the weekend. But January 9th was a Wednesday. So I came in and I came in like Wednesday afternoon, did the intake thing. And so I was there Thursday 
and then there for the weekend. And the weekends at this place were were weird. They were a little bit less structured. Um, it was it it was a detox. Like there was a de- there were several rooms for detox. Grand Rapids, Michigan is quite a large city. It's the second largest city in Michigan. And so it's it's a large population. And to be perfectly honest, there were plenty of people that need needed detox, you know, in Grand Rapids. And and frankly, there were plenty of people that were detoxing from heroin when I was there. Um, that was the crazy thing. Like I, I was as a drug addict, I mean, I, uh, I was pretty good at it, but I, I hadn't done the street stuff. I had done the stuff that you could buy as a dentist. Cause I, I didn't, I'm not saying I did that because I'm better or I, I just, this is just what I knew. Like I didn't use with anyone. I didn't learn how to be a drug addict from anyone else. I didn't, you know, it's not like I, I use with someone else. I learned from, you know, I started out with pain pill samples and, and learn how to buy the stuff from, from <laughs> dental suppliers, right? Like this is, uh, it was all, it was all pharmaceuticals that I used. I never, I never got into the other stuff. Not that I wouldn't have. I just didn't know how. I didn't know anyone that would be able to show me how. I didn't know that stuff. So, so the reality is, is I, I did not have a lot of, um, understanding or connection with like, uh, you know, what drug addiction necessarily looked like in other ways. For instance, I mean, there's plenty of people that don't ever do any drugs. They just, they just drink alcohol and they, they have a miserable, miserable time with alcohol, but they've never, they technically never had to do anything illegal to do that. See, that's sort of the thing. Drug addiction almost always requires that you do something that's against the law, but alcoholism technically, as long as you don't drive, uh, you basically, you can be a, a, an insane alcoholic and never do anything against the law. So, uh, and that's always been one of the stigma things with people who, who have problems with, you know, illegal drugs versus legal drugs. And I mean, clearly marijuana is now switching from one to another in a lot of places. So there's a lot to talk about there in any case. But I came into a detox center full of people that come from all walks of life, all walks of life. And honestly, I was, I think I was the only professional there. I was the only, you know, I was the only one with a, probably a, an advanced degree of any sort. It was, uh, it was, it was humbling to say anything. It was, I, I can't say it was humiliating because I, I, I did a lot of stuff, you know, that was humiliating, but it was humbling. You know, when you're used to being treated as a professional, you're used to, and mind you, I was, I wasn't even 30 years old. I mean, was I, I, I guess it was 2002. So I was, I was, I was just 30 years old. I'd only been a dentist for four years, three years. And, and most of the time, at that time I was still using and I was a mess, but, but yet even at that time, you, you've come to understand and expect respect that you maybe didn't even earn because you've got doctor in front of your name or that, that you went to college for a long time and you have this degree and you're, you're allowed a certain way to make, uh, to make a living. It's one of the reasons that it's really hard for me to relate to people that struggle with their, their, the living that they make as a dentist, because like having seen, having seen what, what the rest of the world looks, looks like and having seen what like, like regular people think about it. I got a lot of passes in this whole addiction thing because I was a doctor, because I was given respect that I didn't earn because, uh, because of where I came from, because of my, my status as a, as a, as a doctor, as a dentist. Um, very interesting. And you don't necessarily understand that until you're put into a big situation 
where you're dealing with regular people that are not used to like I my role was never as a doctor when I was in detox or when I was in, you know, in treatment. I was I was a patient there. Like I was just a guy. But it just so happened that this guy went to college for a long time and was a dentist. It's very weird. Like people look at you differently because of that. And and I don't know that I ever really knew that. I don't think I really understood that until I I was in this this detox center. So I, I'm I'm at the detox. This it was Wednesday night, not Thursday night, Wednesday night. Uh they asked me if I want to go into the the AA meeting. They were having a speaker meeting, an AA meeting, or they were having a small NA meeting. Um an AA stands for of course for Alcoholics Anonymous, and NA stands for Narcotics Anonymous. And uh, I you know what when I got there, I didn't want to do anything like that. First of all, I didn't know anything about 12 12 step groups and I, I never tried anything. I didn't know anything about them. I'm like, uh, but they, they weren't really giving me a choice. They weren't saying you can do this when you're, at, when you're a treatment center, you, you do what they tell you to do. Uh, so I chose the, the small narcotics anonymous meeting. And so I went in there, my literally my very first narcotics anonymous meeting. I'm clueless. I'm still probably messed up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm halfway between either, either high or, or starting into withdrawal from, from opiates. And uh, there were like three or four people in there having a small meeting, and I mostly just listened. But but I remember having a lot of questions. I remember people talking about it, what what happens a lot of times there, especially when you're brand new. They have they'll have a meeting that kind of focuses on welcoming the newcomer. They they do that. And I I wasn't in any position to be welcomed. I just I was clueless at that point, and I was in a treatment center. I didn't know I didn't even know where my room was. I didn't I I'd come in literally with the clothes on my back. My family left me there because that's what you do. You leave them to the medical professionals. And I was, I was scared. I was alone. I, I was not feeling good, obviously. And, but this entire time, including the drive over to Grand Rapids, I remember very vividly that this is the first time I could admit to people what I had been doing for like four years. Cause I used alone. I didn't. I didn't use drugs with anyone else. I used alone. So everything I had been doing the entire time was a secret. Like I didn't tell anyone. No one knew. Uh, obviously people knew towards the end. My team knew because I wasn't hiding it very well. And, and actually Woodbury knew my, my friend, Dr. Scott Woodbury knew for several reasons, not the least of which he tried to do surgery on me a couple of times and sedate me. And, and, and he didn't have enough drugs in the, in the cart to sedate me because my tolerance was so high. So like, I wasn't hiding it very well, but I was at least attempting to hide it. It wasn't out in the open that I was, I was a drug addict. I had, I had my family believing I was narcoleptic because when you take a lot of opiates, you tend to just freaking nod out. Like you just like basically pass out in public and that's like not normal. So I had people believing I was, I was narcoleptic. It was, it was insane. But this, at this time, cause the, the, the lie was up. The gig was up. Uh, I was able to start telling people what I had been doing. And what I didn't realize is that that's not typically what what a brand new <laughs> recovering person does. They're usually a little guarded about, about their what's been going on. They don't want the whole world to necessarily know what they've been doing. But I have to tell you, probably those people had friends that they used with or that, or that someone in the world knew that that this is what they'd been up to or something. I didn't, I didn't have anyone that knew that. I didn't, 
And so if I was going to go through this, I was going to tell everyone how screwed up I was and how messed up I, and what's so funny about that. I didn't, I know it sounds ridiculous and it, I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back. I don't mean to do it that way. What I'm saying is that like, I've been keeping this huge secret for so long and everyone knew now, like my family knew now the people that I had been hiding it from, they knew that I'd been screwing up. Clearly they didn't, they didn't know the extent. They didn't know the details. And frankly, they didn't need to know all the details, uh, but I was going to tell them. So I, I think I didn't stop talking the whole time that I got my ride over to Grand Rapids. And I'm sure that uh, to this day, I suspect my father does not have, doesn't thank me for that because he probably heard a lot of stuff that he didn't want to hear. But um, just, it was, it was uh, a sense of freedom that, I don't think you can even understand if you have literally been everything you do your entire, because my entire life was centered around getting the next one. I used so much and so often I couldn't keep this stuff around. So every day was a struggle of, you know, like, like the best days in the world were days that I scored some the day before. And I had a little bit when I woke up the next day, honestly, that was like, that was like a day that I didn't have to scramble to try and to, to, to get some from, uh, a dental supply company or fake a script or, or what have you, anything. That was an amazing day for me. And, but this whole time I never admitted what I was doing to anyone, right? Like this was all a secret and, and whether or not I was really keeping a great secret is a whole other story, but it was, I was trying to keep a secret. And so <laughs> getting in a car with people after they know you screwed up and you get to start talking about it. And same thing, going into a meeting with, with other recovering people, and you just start spilling about all the screwed up stuff you were doing. People don't do that. That's, that's not, that's not how this works in a lot of cases. And so what people thought was funny about me, and it is kind of funny, I was wildly honest about what I had been doing, but it's not because I'm some amazing person. It's because if you can imagine having to cork this up for four years or so, because I was an active addict for four years, it would, the, the, the sense of freedom was amazing. So, and actually that was very helpful when it came time to actually do treatment because a lot, a lot of treatment is a lot, a lot of the therapy involved is you facing the facts of what you have been doing. And, and you know, um, I'll tell you a little bit about this later, but I mean, that was a lot of it. They like, <laughs> like a lot of the therapists had to break you down a little bit to get you to be honest about what you're doing. They didn't really have to do that with me though, because I was just, I hadn't ever tried this so much of treatment. This is, this is terrible. It sounds like, again, it sounds like I'm trying to pat myself on the back. I'm not so much of treatment as people who have, have tried and relapsed. And I never had, I'd never, I never tried before. So I didn't know that that's what, so a lot of treatment is kind of set up to, to help a person avoid relapse. And since I had never tried, I had never relapsed. So I didn't even know it was, it was, it's kind of crazy. Like a lot of, a lot of the treatment, in, you know, for addiction, at least back then and probably now, is centered upon the person who's made attempts at stopping and has made attempts at recovery and blown it. And so what are they going to do this time that's different? Well, shoot, I never blown it. I never had a chance to blow it. This is the first time I'd ever done it. So um, it was interesting that, that that's how the, the curriculum, if you will, was. In any case, they, so I, I went to bed that Wednesday night. I woke up and, uh, and the food was terrible. I was on detox you know, where, where the, they had to take my vitals every, I don't know, every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes or something. So I didn't sleep real well. And then I woke up the next morning and 
I had the only clothes I had were the clothes that I wore that the day before. Like I literally was able to go in and take a shower. This it was such a trip, man. Like I literally went in, took a shower and put the same clothes back on that I wore that day. I was like, man, this is what it must feel like to be in prison. And, and on some level it kind of felt like it was, except it, it really, it, it felt like I was there against my will, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was there. I agreed to be there because my family had intervened on me and this was what I was doing. But but I hadn't thought that much through it, to be perfectly honest. I hadn't thought, I'm going to treatment and this is what treatment is going to be like. Because I didn't know what it was going to be like. I had no idea. All I knew was was this is where I was and they left me here. And I don't, I, I couldn't get out if I wanted to. I wouldn't know where to go. I don't even know where I am for crying out loud. I was, you know. So I didn't know Grand Rapids very well before, before I was in treatment at all. So I, I woke up the next morning, took a shower and put the same clothes back on. And I, and I started doing what they, they asked me to do. And a lot of it was, was them taking my vitals and making sure I was okay. Uh, there were a lot of, as it turns out, they, they did a fair amount of group therapy and activities. And it was really interesting because I realized that even in the four days that I was there, some of the stuff that they did was pretty repetitive. Like, there are activities that are meant to help you become more aware of, of your problems. There were active, m- much of treatment for addiction, at least back in 2002, was to help you understand how your emotions work and how addiction in a lot of cases is a reaction of someone who's not good at handling their own emotions, not good at understanding what their emotions are and, 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 you know, handling emotions and, and being able to work through that, uh, which is real. That's, I mean, that's totally true. And, and addiction is a, is a great way to cope with really big emotions. Uh, you know, if you can get high or drink or smoke or whatever, and, and it, it makes, it makes those emotions go away. That's a coping mechanism, not a healthy coping mechanism, but it's a coping mechanism. That's what it was for me. I had, I had a lot of big emotions. And, uh, so on some level treatment has is always based around that. It's, they, they would, they wanted you to be aware of, of there was a lot of what they were trying to teach people about how much brain chemistry stuff went along with addiction. There is a lot that they wanted to spend time. Now, mind you, this is not the treatment center that I was in for four and a half months. This was the detox center. So it was, I don't mean to I don't mean to downplay it, but it was, it was kind of a, a lower end treatment center, if you will. It was not the kind of treatment, the kind of treatment I was in. I was in a, a treatment center and I guess I'm going to do another episode where I talk a little bit about my treatment because I, I don't want it to go so long here that I, I could talk about this for a long time. Apparently when I started talking about this, I didn't know where it was going to go. I'm like, you know, I should talk about what it was like, you know, uh, 19 years ago. And, and so literally I haven't even gotten past like the first night of the detox and I'm half an hour into this thing. So I got some stuff to say, apparently, but um, the treatment center I went to was was very much uh, put together for medical professionals, medical, and and there were some some other professions, but it was really it was really based on the Talbot Center, which is down near Atlanta, um, kind of a well well known. This is how we treat, uh, you know, this is how we treat doctors and dentists and, and professionals highly educated folks. And what you had was a model where it was supposed to be that, but they also had some, some regular folks in there too. Interesting mix of people actually, but it was kind of the quote unquote higher end, if you will, treatment. And so, the, but the detox center I was in, 
would have been kind of the lower end. And it was, it was inpatient. It was all within the hospital walls. And, um, so they had a lot of activities. They had a lot of bad food. Uh, it was a hospital setting. There wasn't a ton of free time. Um, there socialization was very closely monitored. Frankly, they, they did not want you to, to, um, be alone with it. It was, you know, you were in a hospital. It was not, it was a couple steps away from, from being in prison. Uh, but it was pretty tightly monitored. The other thing is it was co-ed. So they they really did not want men and women to, to, uh, connect there. That's, that was not what they were looking for. So they had, you know, they had a men's hall and a women's hall and they tried really hard to keep, keep them separate. And, and I was only there for four days, so I didn't see that much there, but the bottom line is, I mean, the struggles are all real. The, you know, they're, you're still human beings. And in a lot of cases, they're really putting themselves in a vulnerable spot, whether they're in detox like I was, and they're literally like in withdrawal from their drug of choice, or it's amazing how much like the physical withdrawal for some stuff, particularly with opiates is really, it feels like being bodily sick, but more than anything, I think all of it has a lot to do with the psychology of it. The fact that you're away from like almost anyone who's used drugs on a regular basis, there is a routine. There is a, um, there's a different word I'm looking for. The word I'm looking for actually is a ritual. There's a ritual that goes along and, and anyone who, who is a, uh, a regular drug or alcohol user, they, they, if they're honest with you, there's probably a ritual that goes along with it. There was for me, um, especially if it had been a while since I'd gotten any, like the craziest thing in the world. And people think I'm nuts, but, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Like if I had been in withdrawal for a while, if I hadn't gotten, if I hadn't had any for a while and I, I got some, I scored, whether it was, you know, I, however illicit way I got it when I got some, I literally, the withdrawal went away actually before the first hit of the stuff. Like literally I could, I was already feeling better because I knew I had it. So there's so much ritual involved with drug and alcohol use, particularly problematic drug and alcohol use, um, that uh, being away from your ritual, being away from your routine that includes drugs and alcohol and how you cope with life is very dramatic. It's very dramatic. Like it's, it's hard when, when you use, when you use drugs and alcohol to, to just deal with your life instead of living life on life's terms, you, it's a crutch that you become very used to. And so in a detox center like this, when you're literally just the first few days away from that ritual, from that crutch, from that, you know, or even in the point where you're physically like withdrawing from the stuff, you got a bunch of really broken people and, and some of them are doing really bad. And some of them are putting, I was putting on a face that I was doing great. I know I was, I, I honestly, I felt so good the first couple of days. I didn't physically feel good, but I felt so good that I'm, I was actually going to be able to be honest about what I've been doing for four years. I was such a dope. Uh, but interestingly that colored the rest of my treatment. And I, like I said, this is the first four days. Um, <laughs> I remember God, like, they told me where I was going to be going and I came off detox. I don't know if it was probably Saturday. If I got there on Wednesday, I came off detox. And so I was able to, uh, they were, I was able to exercise then. I can't even believe I'm saying it's so funny now considering all the stuff I've been through. But, um, and so like, and 
by this time, my family had come to visit a couple times and they had brought some clothes for me and they'd brought some music for me and they brought a CD player so I could listen to music. And I was starting to feel like a human being again. Of course, my parents, my, my family, they didn't know I was married at this point too. I was early in my marriage, you know, they didn't really know me because, because like I sort of lived this secret life and that, and there was a lot of hurt that from them because like I'd been, you know, just it's a secret life. You're kind of lying about who you are for a lot of your, a lot of the experience that these people had around you and they were sore and they didn't know what the hell was going to happen with me. Cause if, like I said, I was, this is the first time I'd ever been in any kind of treatment or anything like that. So they didn't know when they would come to visit, they were freaked out. I remember, I remember sitting in the cafeteria there one of those days. Oh, was my mom mad? Oh, was she mad at me? I'd never seen my mom mad at me like that. Cause you know what? I was a pretty good kid. You know, I, I didn't, Oh, is she mad? She's like, where'd you, where'd you learn how to do this? What, what happened? What did you do? You know, I remember that pretty, pretty vividly. That was pretty tough. Um, and there were some family days like, like at the place I went to, I'll tell you about it later, but, uh, where Wednesdays were family days. <laughs> I had my, I never, I never had a family day where people didn't come to see me, whether it was my family or people from my office or whatever. And those were tough days. Those were really tough days. I'll tell, I'll tell you about that in another treatment, another time. But so in any case, so I was there for, uh, I got there on Wednesday night. So I was there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I, I was moved to West Michigan Addiction Consultants um, on that Monday. I remember I met I met one of the guys that was in West Michigan Addiction Consultants uh, as a he'd been in treatment for a while. He was a dentist also. And I met him. He was I'll tell you about I'll tell you about this another time too, but but he was the second half of your treatment at West Michigan Addiction Consultants, also known as WEMAC. Uh, was you you do what's called mirror mirror image therapy? So you would literally go into group therapy sessions at a different treatment center. You were already several months clean, and you you'd done a bunch of the group therapy stuff. And so you would kind of look at look at the people who are newer and see if you could see their defense mechanisms and and, and pick them out. So basically, they used your experience in therapy to see other things. So this guy was here doing mirror image therapy on on us. It was a Monday morning and. When he said he was a dentist, oh, I was drawn immediately to him. Oh, and that dude was disgusted by me for sure. He was just, he's like, oh God, here we go. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be coming to West Michigan Addiction Consultants too. I'm going to be going over there. Can you, can you tell me about it? He, he didn't want anything to do with me, of course. And of course he turned out to be my frigging roommate, you know, story of my life, right? <laughs> so in any case, uh, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. I was a mess. I was young and I was dumb and I was, I was in treatment. I didn't know what I was doing, but I wasn't using because obviously I couldn't. And, and so it was like the first few days clean of my, of my clean time. So what I'm telling you is that was basically 19 years ago from right this very second, that 19 years ago right now was that Wednesday night when I was, uh, when I was brought in to detox for the first time. And, uh, Oh, what a trip that was. Unbelievable. I, I'm, I, in talking about it, it feels very fresh again. It gives me a little bit of anxiety, but I look back and I'm like, God, there's so much I didn't know. So much, so much of everything I didn't know. I was so young and so dumb. And I can only look back with gratitude that the people that were there were there when, when I needed them. And I look back honestly and I think to myself, I'm really glad, I'm really grateful that I was able to 
have my full-blown addiction like crisis happen long before the rest of my life did. You know, like I'm super grateful. I have two children and I was, Sean was born in 2010. So I was eight years clean and sober by the time Sean was born. Basically I got neither one of my kids have ever seen me using drinking anything. I haven't seen any of that. And, and I'm super grateful for that. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm glad I was able to kind of get my addiction problems sort of squared away before the rest of my life was. It's just wildly grateful for that. Of course, you didn't know it at the time. On some level, had it been just alcohol and I hadn't used other drugs, maybe it would have taken longer for me to hit bottom. I don't know. Uh, so I'm I'm wildly grateful for that. And, and as ugly and as ridiculous and, and, and as uncomfortable as some of these memories are, as I think of them, I'm just really grateful that they happened the way that they did. My story is a weird one, but but it's a, you know, in looking back, it's, it's a pretty successful one. It worked out pretty great, worked out in the long run for me quite nicely, but, ah, what an uncomfortable thing. So, yep, I spent my first four days clean in a, in a kind of a dingy detox center with a bunch of dingy people. The people were really nice. They were nice enough. Uh, what I remember, I remember vividly that I was one of the only people that didn't smoke. So when we did have break times, I was almost always alone because everyone went into the smoking lounge. But if you can believe it in a hospital, they had, they had a smoking room for the people who smoked. You can only, I don't think that probably happens much anymore, but back in 2002, they still had a smoking lounge for the people who smoked. So they didn't ask you to give up cigarettes when you were detoxing from the rest of the stuff that, that, that was a, apparently that was a bridge too far. And the couple times I went into the smoking lounge, it was so horrible in there. It was so awful. It was so smoky for a guy who didn't smoke. I couldn't tolerate it. So I felt a little lonesome. Like there's people that I'm trying to, trying to learn how to be a recovering person from because they've got, you know, 25 days ahead of me or something like that. So this treatment center was, was about a 30 day treatment center. If you went through the full course, it was probably about a 30 day thing. It depended on what your insurance covered. And I knew that they knew for me, and I, I guess I didn't know until later, but they knew for me that I was not going to be there for, I was only going to be there long enough to be in detox because they had a spot for me in this other treatment center down the road. I didn't know. I didn't know what, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I was just showing up and doing what they told me to do. And I will tell you what a wonderful, wonderful way to get, I, I suspect the military does this in some way. They broke me down. For a guy who already owned a practice, already had employees, already ran a, an office, not well, but I had one of my own. I was used to people saying yes, sir, to me and used to doing, used to people doing what I asked them to do. What an awesome thing to be basically spend four and a half months just doing what other people told you to do because your judgment was bad enough that you had to learn to listen and just do the stuff that they told you to do. You don't hear that a lot as a dentist. As a dentist, you're the guy who's supposed to know everything and, and make all the calls. And frankly, I'd screw that up well enough that I was willing to just do what people told me to do. And what was so funny is it didn't matter what they told me to do. Just in the listening and doing and being humble enough to do it, I got better. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So I'll pick this up uh, in another episode because literally I haven't even, I haven't even moved to the actual treatment center. I literally just spent the first four days in detox, but it was, it was crazy. I'm very grateful those people were there for me when, when they were. And uh, like I said, I am tomorrow on the 10th, I'll be celebrating 19 days, 19 years clean and sober. Um, that's a long time, man. That's, I can't believe how old I am, but uh, <laughs> that's what I'll be doing. I'll be going to get my coin 
my 19 year coin. So, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing the Alameda experience again. I'm not just going to do, uh, I'm not just going to tell stories about my recovery. I, I got a bunch of people lined up to talk to interesting people that'll have interesting conversations. Some of it will be about dentistry. Some of it won't, uh, it's going to be fun and it'll just be one more thing out there that if, if you have interest, I'd love it if you go over and subscribe to the Alameda experience podcast. I promise to put out more content than I have in the past because I'm kind of excited about this again. This is kind of fun. So uh, if you have any questions or comments, why don't you go over to the Facebook group? We have the Alan Mead Experience Facebook group. I have questions that I require you to answer in this Facebook group. Uh, and apparently it was the questions were, were the first two sponsors of the Dental Hacks podcast. And so the answers I was taking were, I want to say Premier and Cosmodent. So uh, the answers I'm looking for would be Premier or Cosmodent. Or uh, <laughs> the other question is, uh, where did Al go through detox? And the answer is Grand Rapids, Michigan. If you can answer one of those questions, you can get in the group. I truly don't want anyone in the group that isn't listening to the podcast because at this point, uh, it's a pretty neat group. We haven't had done a lot there lately, but we will. We will because I'm starting back up. So uh, for all you that have listened to the Alameda Experience and have been loyal listeners and have been my friends on the internet for quite some time, I'm starting this up again. And I hope this was helpful. I hope I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, thank you for celebrating my 19 years. Uh, really appreciate that. And so take a listen to the Alameda Experience. Go back, listen to some old episodes, and I'm going to start putting some new content out there. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.